Amen. While you're standing, just reach behind you and grab your Bibles, and we will go ahead and read our text this morning while you're already, uh, while you're already standing. We are back in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and today's reading comes beginning in verse number 14, and we'll read down through verse number 20. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers, and Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Father, again, as we come to your word this morning, we thank you for how our hearts have been prepared by the music. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder of all that you have done for us. And we do bless you, we do thank you and praise you for your many blessings that have been poured out upon us each and every day. And now, Lord, we come to your word. It is is the instruction for us today. I pray that we would open our hearts to it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to block out other distractions that are going on in our life outside of here, and even distractions that may arise in here, we pray, Lord, that we would be able to focus upon your word and that you would speak to us today through your spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The last time that we were together, we looked at two things as Jesus enters the pages of scripture as an adult. First, we saw Jesus in the water at his baptism, and then we saw Jesus in the wilderness where he is tempted. And we acknowledge that in both cases there was an emphasis on the deity of Jesus and also an emphasis on the example that Jesus gives us in his earthly ministry. You remember at his baptism, which stood apart from the other baptisms of John the baptizer, that God the Father announced, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit also descending on him in the form of a dove. And we we see there the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And today we come to Mark's record of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And this is interesting to note that uh, we've mentioned that Mark is very fast-paced. And so when you come to the text today, he has gone right from the temptations of Jesus, right into Jesus' ministry in Galilee, which skips about a year of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, which the other Gospels cover more in detail. But again, uh, Mark is is fast-paced. It's not given to as much detail. It is very intentional. It is very purposeful. And of course, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, as all Scripture is. In our text, Mark is laying out for us very clearly the model, again, that Jesus is giving us of what a faithful minister looks like. What what does a follower of Jesus look like? 
He has shown us what it looks like to resist temptation and now what it looks like to effectively minister to people. And Jesus teaches us some very important lessons in how he assembles the team of people that are going to serve alongside of him in his earthly ministry. There's a lot of strategies, aren't there, in how to do ministry. There's a lot of books that have been written and There are a lot of traditions even that have been passed down to us in the last several hundred years. Some of them very great traditions. Some change generationally because every generation comes with different ways of learning and different ways of connecting. And so these strategies for successful ministry, they're endless today. But there is a model that Jesus gives for us in our text this morning, a model of our Lord Jesus Christ that never, ever changes. He gives us uh, something that we should still be doing, we should still be striving for today, and it is the Lord's strategy for effective ministry. It is brief, it is to the point, as, as Mark writes this gospel very quickly, you see the word immediately Many times as we go through here. By way of introduction, I want you to look again at verses 14 and 15. Look in verse 14 at what Jesus is doing as he begins his ministry. And this is so important. He is preaching the gospel. Mark it there in verse 14. He is preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Right out of the gate, we see the priority of preaching the gospel. Remember, gospel means what? Good news. The gospel means good news. And so Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And here's what he's saying. The time is fulfilled. What time? The time that the Messiah has come to earth. This time has come. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. What do we need to be doing? He tells us in the next phrase. Here's what he's telling them. You need to repent and believe the gospel. And it should still be our message today. You see, styles of learning may change, but the message of the gospel remains the same. And the responsibility for you and I to proclaim it today, 2,000 plus years, remains the same. This is how Jesus starts his earthly ministry. Setting for us an example of what we need to do. So Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Let me ask you, if you have good news, what do you want to do with good news? You want to share it. You want to proclaim it. I have something, I have something that will change your life. I was reading through a story this week of, of a, a family, a young boy in the World War II who was killed and uh, the man was sent to his family to let them know that their son, their young son, had been killed. And the chaplain went to their home and he had to give them this awful news. And uh, months went by and they realized that they had made a mistake, that it was not this son that was killed. In fact, their son was still very much alive. And they went back to this chaplain or whoever it is that goes and tells the family and said, would you mind going and sharing with this family that their son is not dead. In fact, he will be home in just a few weeks. Can you imagine what was going on in this chaplain's heart as he was going to share this news? You think he just said, well, if it's convenient over the next few months, I'll get back to their house if it works out. 
No, he was anxious. He was excited. He left right away and went and told them the good news about their son. And as I was reading that, I thought that is the same way that you and I should be with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not just good news. It is the best news that Jesus came to save men and women from their sins. There's people all around us who are drowning in despair and grief. And while many of us celebrated Thanksgiving and rejoiced, there were many people this weekend who were full of despair, who who did not have the hope of eternal life, who did not have the hope that their family members and their friends had eternal life. And so we have this good news, and this is what Jesus begins his earthly ministry doing, preaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. I want to point out three things this morning from the text that I think are very clear. The first thing that I want you to see and notice is the people that Jesus called. Who were the people that Jesus called? We see in verse 16 and 19 that he called Simon and Andrew his brother. And then again in verse number 19, that as he was going further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So John calls two sets of brothers, uh, both of whom are fishermen. Now, one thing that we notice in these men and these people is that they were fully engaged in their profession. These were people who were active. These were not people who were just sitting by the sideline and had nothing to do. They were not retired. They were fully engaged in their profession. They were active in what they were doing. These guys had a business to run. Now, to walk away from your livelihood, to walk away from what you depended on to feed you and your family, I would say that you have to be pretty committed to whatever you're going after, right? These men believed that what they were following was better than what they were leaving. They believed that there was something great that God was going to do and that they were fully committed to this new way of fishing. I'm struck by the audacity of this call, the, really a call for great commitment, a call for abandonment, to abandon and leave the securities that they had and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm also struck by the immediacy of their obedience. There was no hesitation. Look what it says, and we'll look at this a little bit more later, but it says immediately they walked away from their equipment and they followed Jesus. This Simon is Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. And what stands out about them to me are a few things, where they are from, their occupation, and their diverse personality. First of all, these were Galileans. The Galileans themselves were known as being kind of a a rough and untutored, very common people. Jesus didn't go into Jerusalem to choose them. He went out into Galilee. We also see that they were fishermen. They were not rabbis from the synagogue. Instead, he went to the Sea of Galilee and he chose out these fishermen. So what we see is that Jesus did not commit his cause to an ad agency or to a university or even to a religious sect, but to common, ordinary people like you and I. What it says and what it reminds us is that by and large, God is looking for unqualified people as the world may grade it. 
That the world may look and see they're not qualified to carry such a message. And I'm reminded of something that I heard my dad say time and time and time again as a, as a young boy growing up. And it's stuck in my head. He said it so many times that I could finish it for him when he started. And he said, God does not call the qualified. Instead, he qualifies those he calls. He's not looking for the most successful by the world standards. And I'm thankful for that because what you are looking at this morning and what you are listening to this morning is a very simple-minded, ordinary, weak man who week in and week out and day in and day out is dependent upon the power and the presence of God. And God takes great pleasure in using the ordinary people. In fact, we've seen this on Wednesday nights as we've been studying Corinthians, his letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were all about the resumes. They were all about the intellect. They were all about what social status that you were on. And Paul tells them in chapter 1 of this little epistle, he says, look at verse 26 and 27. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many... Now, it doesn't say not any. It doesn't say he doesn't call any of these kind of people, but it says he does not call many, which means the majority of the people that he calls are ordinary people. He says that how that he calls not many wise uh, men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen, mark this, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Now the word foolish there is a word that maybe you would recognize. It's where we get the word moron from. They're a moron. That is the word that is for foolish. The word weak, it means sickly and without strength. And then look at verse number 28. He gives us a few more things. And base things of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. The word base means without pedigree. The phrase things which are despised means things that were looked down upon. The the things which are not means that people are things that are not ignored. So I want you to notice what he's saying. He's saying the moronic, the sickly, those without pedigree, those looked down upon, those that are, are ignored. By and large, this makes up the mighty army of God. Which is exactly why he told Gideon, by the way, your army's too big, Gideon. I'm going to reduce it all the way down to 300. We've been studying this in our, in our faith group on Sunday mornings. And the same reason that he did that is the same reason that he gives here. Look at verse number 29 through 30. Why, is, why does he choose these kind of people? Notice verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Jesus says, let me choose my first two disciples. And I want you to watch the kind of people that I am choosing. I'm not going into the synagogues in Jerusalem. I'm going down by the Sea of Galilee. And I'm going to find a little introvert named Andrew and his loud and proud brother named Peter. And I'm going to take these guys with absolutely different personalities. And I am going to show you, look, it's not about your ability. It is about your availability. 
It is not about your talent. It is about your trust in Jesus Christ. Leaning into God. And listen to the language here. He says, you come after me and I will make you to become. This is what he would make out of them. He did not call them for what they were. He called them for what he would make out of them. These ordinary men. The maker of men can make anything out of that which he made, can he? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Don't forget that Jesus was in the beginning, in the creation, with God, and He was God. And He is the maker of us. We do not exist without Him. And if He made us, then He can make anything out of us. It's an insult to God for you to say that God can't use you because of some weakness or some personality trait that you have. The gospel of God doesn't take an engineer or a professor to understand. Look at it again as Jesus is giving it in verse 15. The gospel of God is at hand. This is what he says. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is saying, turn from your sins. Turn from your faith and religion and put your faith in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And if you do that, he will save you. It's that simple. This is the gospel. We don't have a social gospel. We have nothing that is designed to relieve society of injustices. We have no gospel that is designed to gain us political ground. We have one simple message. Repent of whatever you're trusting in and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And if you do that, I have good news for you. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, I have good news for you. If you do that today, He will save you today. That's the gospel. But we see here from Jesus the people that he called. It's you and I that he has called to take the gospel, ordinary, simple people. Secondly, I want you to see the purpose that he commissioned. Not only the people that he called, but why he called them. What was the purpose? Verse 17, look at it. Jesus said unto them, come ye after me and I will make you to become, say it with me, Fishers of men. Don't miss the mission. Why did Jesus leave the glories of heaven as we've been studying on Sunday nights? Why did he come to earth through the virgin's womb? Why did he live among us? Why did he walk the dusty shores of Galilee? Why did he preach and teach and heal during his earthly ministry? Why did he suffer and die? How many of you want to know the answer to why he did all those things? You may already know. If not, I want to give it to you straight from Scripture. The Bible tells us the reason why he did all those things. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 tells us this, that the Son of Man, that is Jesus, the Son of Man has come what? Say it with me. To seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. That's why he begins his earthly ministry showing us the purpose of his mission. 
Jesus had a missionary heart. Jesus had a soul winner's heart. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible tells us that when he saw the multitudes, what happened to him? He was moved with compassion because they were like sheep who did not have a shepherd. And this is why, this is why he starts his earth, where he starts his earthly ministry. And again, he's doing it to give you and I an example to follow. He's calling these men, fishermen, to leave their livelihood of catching fish and start fishing for men. Jesus' purpose was to come and to seek, to seek and to save the lost. And he has called you and I this morning to live with that same purpose. This is our commission. If we are following Jesus, this is what the text is t- telling us and showing us. If we are following Jesus, then we are fishing for men. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. I want to I read, and it's a little bit lengthy, and I don't typically read longer things, but I want you to stay with me. It's a, it's a present day, modern day parable about this text. It says, now it came to pass that a group existed that called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry week after week, month after month, year after year. Those who called themselves fishers met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They sponsored costly nationwide and worldwide conferences to discuss fishing and to promote fishing and to hear about all the ways of fishing, such as the new fishing equipment and whether any new bait was discovered. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and that every fisherman should fish. The one thing they did not do, however, they didn't fish. Matt, can you help turn some air on up here because I'm about to die. How many of you are warm? In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send other fishermen to other places where there were many fish. And all of the fishermen seemed to agree that what was needed was a board which would challenge fishermen to be faithful in fishing. The board was formed by those that had this great vision and those who had courage to speak about fishing, to define fishing, to promote the idea of fishing in faraway streams and faraway lakes where other fish of different colors lived. But the staff and the committee members, they didn't fish. Large, elaborate, and extensive training centers originated and their primary purpose was teaching how to fish. They had teachers who who had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and given fishing license. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters, which were filled with fish. Some spent much time studying and traveling to learn the history of fishing and to see faraway places where the fathers of great fishing in centuries past lived. 
They lauded the faithful fishermen of years before who handed down the idea of fishing. He says, imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't catch fish were not really fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. You know, the only way that we are truly fishermen is if we are fishing for men. If we are sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, don't get mad at me. It was not Pastor Josh that said this. It was Jesus himself who said, you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He will do this through us supernaturally. And here's the question this morning. Are we fulfilling the purpose for which he has commissioned us? Are we doing what he has called us here to do? I would even suggest why we are still here. Why we exist. Remember as he was leaving his command, go ye into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. What the choir sang this morning. These men in our text were called to a different purpose. And I love this. No longer were they taking living fish who were living and flourishing in their, in their setting and take them out of that and kill them. But now they had been given a responsibility to, to fish for men who were dying and to give them life. Something greater than taking something living and giving it death is taking something that is dying and giving it life. That's the purpose that he has commissioned us. The people that he called and then lastly... And I'll try to just mention this, but it's so clear here in our text, the promptness of their compliance. Immediately, immediately, immediately they left their nets. Later on it says they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and they went away to follow Jesus. They followed without hesitation. They gave up, Brother Terry, their securities in a second. In that moment, without hesitation. They understood what it says in verse 15, that the time is fulfilled. This is the time. This is the moment. Church, listen. This is the moment God has given us. And at least in my lifetime... There's so much craziness happening in our world that people are listening like they have never listened before. What are we doing with the opportunity? This is the time. They understood that eternal, listen, they understood that eternal surpasses temporary. They understood the importance of seeking first the kingdom of God. They grasped eternal investment, and they bought into the mission that Jesus had laid out for them. And he's called all of us this morning to be his witnesses. This is how he starts his earthly ministry. Follow me, leave your nets, and I will make you fishers of men. Now some, he isn't going to call you to leave your occupation, but he's going to call you every day in your occupation to fish for men. I love it when I go into doctor's offices, when I go into oil change places, maintenance car maintenance places, 
When I go into other businesses where our people work or they own those businesses and I see all around there bait, lures, tracks, ways in which they can not only take care of people's temporary needs but share their eternal need of salvation. But listen... God is going to call some to leave their occupation. God is going to call some to leave their dreams and to follow him and to give their whole life. Maybe on a mission field this week, Kim and I are leaving tomorrow and we're going to get on a plane and we're going to fly to Peru all night tomorrow night. And we're going to serve with missionaries This next week, and we're going to try to encourage them and we're going to try to pour into them. They left the United States, they left all their their dreams here, and they went there to reach men and women and boys and girls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's still doing that. How many of you believe that? God's still doing that. If God wants our children or our grandchildren, let me remind you something they're not ours, they're His. And he's simply given them to us to steward for his kingdom, to shoot them like arrows into a world, into a dark world that needs Jesus Christ and the gospel. Now quickly, I want you to look over at Luke chapter 5 and we'll finish. Turn in your Bibles there, Luke chapter 5, because I want you to see it. Luke 5 is the parallel passage to this. And so maybe in Luke 5 or in Mark chapter 1, you'll want to write this reference or... Write the reference Mark 1, 14 through 20 in Luke 5. But Jesus is giving here, he's going to use a fishing illustration to remind these guys of his power and his sovereignty. Look at verse number 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, speaking of Jesus, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. You can see Luke's giving us more detail than Mark gave us in his, in his gospel. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon... He's going to teach him here a lesson because he's about to call him to leave his nets and to follow him. So there's a spiritual application on purpose in what Jesus is telling him in this story. You with me? He's going to give him a physical illustration to tell him what he wants him to do. So here's what he says. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, I would mark this phrase, nevertheless at thy word, I will let down the net. How many of you didn't understand something God was doing and you just had to say, nevertheless, God, at thy word, I will do it. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. By the way, when you see Jesus in all his glory, like Peter did here, like Isaiah did in Isaiah, you will say what they did. 
Uh, Woe is me, I am undone. When I see God for who he is, it gives me a very clear picture of who I am. He was astonished. And all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, what does it say? They forsook all. And they followed him. Four quick things here and we're done. In the conclusion... What Jesus told them, number one, launch out. You know what he's telling them? you got to start doing it. you got to get out into the waters. In verse 4, launch out into the deep. And here's the problem. Most people never launch out. Most people have never given out the first track. Nobody's, some people have never given out the first invitation to church. They never shared the gospel with the first person. What good is good news if people don't hear it? It's only good news to those who hear it. Many sit in a service like this week in and week out in our nation and they sit and they enjoy the music and they listen. They even take out the sermon guide and they fill in all the blanks to it and they stuff it in a folder or they stuff it in their Bible, which becomes like a filing cabinet for many people. And I'm all for that. But listen, the Bible says that we are not only to be hearers of the word, but we are to be doers, which means when we leave here this morning, we are entering a mission field that God has called us to. God didn't move all these people from all the United States just for you to enjoy Fentress County. You might have thought that's why you're moving here, Miss Cindy. Miss Sue, you thought you were coming here to beautiful Fentress County, but God had a greater plan for you. Launch out. One preacher said most of us would rather be keepers of the aquarium than fishers of men. Every Christian is to be a missionary, if only in our community and county and then if he hasn't called us to do it in another country he's called us to help others so that they can do it those who have been called to do it launch out depend upon Jesus verse 5 Simon Peter said unto him master we've told all the night we've taken nothing nevertheless at thy word I will let down the net mark two words here we and nothing didn't Jesus say that without him we can do nothing Look here for just a moment. If you, like me, think I can never convince anyone that they need to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that there are sinners, that they're placing their faith in, in something, in a religion, I, I don't have the capacity to do that. I don't have a way with words. I, I can't even speak to people in a supermarket. If that is you, let me say you are in a perfect spot for God to use you because it is in our weakness that he takes pleasure. It is in our insufficiencies. He says, depend upon Jesus. You see, sharing the good news of the gospel is not going out and doing something for Jesus. A lot of times, that's what we think it is. I'm going to go out today, and I'm going to do something for Jesus, Brother Jason. I'm going to tell somebody about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not us doing something for Jesus. It's Jesus doing something through us. 
It's God working through us. We're not in the business of sales. We're just delivery boys, delivery girls, delivering the news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Launch out, depend upon Jesus. Number three, he says, let down the net. Do you know what the net is? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Living a Christian life is great, and we should do it. People ought to see our life, and they ought, it ought to intrigue them. But listen, and please listen carefully. It does not end. Our responsibility does not end with living a Christian life. It's like watching a commercial without any volume. Boy, that looks intriguing. But we don't have all the information. They need to hear the gospel. Let down the net. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. We have to be able, church, to tell the story of Jesus Christ. And if we don't know how, it's important enough to learn. It's why we're here. And until you get comfortable sharing it, the least we can do is invite them to come here where they'll hear the gospel. Because any of us can do that. If we can invite somebody over for Thanksgiving lunch, then we can invite them to church. That's a good place for an amen. It's an invite, right? It's an invite. And then the fourth thing is, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Luke 5, 5, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. A lot of toiling and a little taking. But he says, just keep on. Just say, nevertheless, it doesn't seem like many people are listening. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will do it. I've been witnessing to that family member many, many times. Nevertheless, God, I'll do it again if that's what you want me to do. These men had toiled all night. They had taken nothing. And then all of a sudden, they have so many fishes that the net is breaking and their boats are about to sink. And I'll just mention this in closing. I love that God chose Peter and Andrew. They could not be any more opposite in personality. Peter was the one. You remember? Bold, loud, proud Peter. Who God had to break, John 21. Don't make me re-preach the sermon. Just go back and listen to it this week or read it this week. He, he takes John and he humbles him. And then what happens? I'm sorry, Peter. He takes Peter and he humbles him. And what happens on the day of Pentecost? Peter stands to preach and 3,000 people are saved. But that's not how it was with Andrew. Andrew was a one-on-one worker. He was the quiet one. He was the one that found the little lad when they fed the, the multitude. He was the one that found that little boy with the fish. He was the one who brought those Greeks to Jesus one conversation at a time. And I want to encourage you this morning, no matter what personality you have, you have a responsibility. We all have been given the ministry of reconciliation, which means if you have been reconciled to God through your faith in Jesus Christ, then you now have a ministry. You may not have known you had a ministry, but you do. 
It's the ministry of showing other people how they can be reconciled to God. Be, be honest this morning. How many of you, that name has showed up on your phone? That dreaded name and you looked at it and you thought, oh no, this is a 30-minute conversation. And you hit the ignore button. Be honest. How many of you have done that? Wow, you are a lot better people than I am. I'm not going to tell you whose name I hit the ignore button on, but sometimes that's necessary. But let me just say this. When Jesus calls you, you better answer the call. He's not one that you want to hit ignore on. When he says, I want you to leave it all and follow me, you better answer that call. And by the way, you'll be glad you did when you do. Because, yeah, you'll have to leave some stuff. But don't forget this. When you're following Jesus, that means you're in his presence. That means you're experiencing something that a lot of people will never get to experience. In this adventure of following Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's our responsibility. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you give us to partner with you in your mission for the world. God, we all understand. I don't stand up here this morning wanting to be harsh. But I do want to stress the urgency with which you have called us to fish for men. Lord, I pray that we would not be so distracted by the temporary that we forget that you've called us here for the eternal. God, many of us, you've blessed us with with many things. You've blessed us with finances. You've blessed us with security. You've blessed us with talents, the ability to speak. Some of us, Lord, we're just very common, ordinary, day in and day out people. But we're thankful that you've called us too. And that we're able to experience your power through the Spirit of God to do something that is beyond us. And I pray that we would do that. I pray that our church would be known as a fishing church. A church who all over this county, there are people who are being invited to Christ. Being invited to a church service where they can hear about Christ. I pray that that's our testimony in our hearts today. I pray if there's someone here today and they've never trusted in the gospel, that today would be that day that they put their faith and trust in you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.